Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, I will echo that welcome. And thanks for stopping by. And we'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly. But right now, you can call 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty with questions, comments, or concerns. Alex will be answering the phone, so just your first name and where you're calling from is all he needs to know. And Mr. Kelly, before you take off, yes, sir, I see you have the mask you wear is one of those reusable type masks, mm-hmm. and now they are washable. Yes, you, have you ever washed them? I have not, and that's why I'm wearing. Well, that's why I'm wearing a different one today. I try to alternate them a little bit. And I need to wash it. I'm going to. I, was I just keep, being, you know. I was just curious no. because you know, when they're washed, I'm assuming that you put them in the dryer. Yeah. And so, are they going to come out all twisted up, or you know, how's that going to happen? Well, my head's kind of twisted, so it'll fit right on there. That's it. Yeah. It'll be just you fine. You have a twisted head. I do. <laughs> and I have a twisted sister. No. Uh, yeah. I, I, well. They should work out okay. And actually, I think you could probably hang them and dry them. It wouldn't take that long. They're kind of thin. And a day like today, you put them outside, they'll probably dry in three minutes when the wind gets going. Yeah, 40 miles an hour for the wind. I mean, I don't see any trees moving. Well, they are moving a little bit, but not much. Yeah, that warning goes into effect at 11. So I guess for the next little while, it won't be too bad. So you can get your kite ready if you want to go fly it. (laughs) I have a special announcement for you today. We have a very special listener who is celebrating a birthday. And it's uh, Florence... And her friends in Du Bois, Illinois, want to wish her a happy birthday on your show. Whoa. Not on mine. On your show. Florence listens to the Garden Hotline every Saturday and still gets out and gardens. Oh, my goodness. So there you go. Sounds perfect. One of your your big listeners. So happy birthday to Florence. Yes. Happy birthday, Florence. So there you go. All right. Thanks. You bet. See ya. It is Saturday morning, I believe, and we get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your landscape. And do you really want to have that specialty garden space or you kind of just not really do anything with it anymore? And those houseplants, they better get inside really quickly uh, or else they're going to suffer some damage. And uh, why put a potting mix versus potting soil? Uh, You don't know? Well, call and I will tell you. How to improve your soil? Should you be pruning and shearing? And why are these leaves on this tree really sticky? What is that bug that's causing that? 
Use the information that I share with you, my thoughts, and orchestrate, hopefully, make your decisions solid. And with the final judgment, of course, is going to be yours. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home car, internet, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player, as I said before, is Alex. He's producing today, and uh, that means he's across the big board, and he answers the phone. I mean, he has about 40 different jobs he's got to do. Well, I just stand here and blabber. But uh, I'm Mike Miller, by the way, hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. 1990. That's like last century. Oh, my gosh. I am really getting old. And um, I'll tell you what, I can come to your home. This past week on Wednesday, I was in Baldwin and kind of a cool couple and a nice uh, nice landscape and everything else. My main comment was uh, too many different things in the square footage. I always give the analogy of, would you put this much furniture in this square footage in a room? No, probably wouldn't. But anyway, they are actually related to Ryan Schulte, who's the main engineer here. At the intercom, so that was kind of nice to talk with them and meet with them and everything else. And uh, if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number. seems like more people are using the phone as opposed to the email. That's kind of surprising because, I mean, sometimes it's a miss, hit, miss, hit, 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 miss, as far as the phones and being home and everything else. But anyway, let's get moving. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. I never start off with the idea of where I'm headed. I usually, when I get in the car, sit down, I thought, hmm, let's see, where should I go? So, okay, so I headed out. And I ended up at the corner of Vandeventer and Shaw. And this is an auxiliary parking lot for the Missouri Botanical Garden. And uh, this in the, on this corner right now, historically, when I worked at the garden, there used to be a produce stand right there. So uh, that's long gone, of course. And uh, this parking lot, it has a semicircular brick wall with wrought iron fencing with nice detailing. And uh, the bed space right at the intersection, there's coreopsis, and the coreopsis is finished blooming, and the foliage is starting to head downhill a little bit. But I'll tell you, the seed heads on the top of that was unbelievable. There's penstemon, the ornamental grasses, and uh, they were pretty tan. So it is getting a little bit uh, cooler. Days are getting shorter as well. The mulch covers a lot of the space. Then there's a plot of sedum, which carpets an area and right in the very front. There's Russian sage. It's going to sleep. Liriope is still showing some green, and that's... In a couple different places, but uh, underneath an ash tree. And the ash tree still has a few yellow and purple leaves waiting to drift downward. Uh, island planting within the parking lot, uh, a duet of mixed trunk, tr- multi-trunk trees. They are singing along with liriope, and it's liriope spicata. That's the spreading type. The sky eastward lightens up on this chilly morning here in October. A sign as I was headed back towards my car says, uh, it's, you know, it's on a brick post. It tells the person who's reading it, uh, the Botanical Garden's actually two blocks away. So you're going to have to walk if you park here. Uh, my hands were getting cold. I should have had some gloves, but I didn't. And uh, on my way uh, here, you know, driving, 
I drove past a sign, a lot of political signs going out and everything else. This one said B Y E D O N, by dawn. <laughs> so I'm not exactly sure what that means, but uh, it's not exactly how I spell Biden, but uh, anyway. So Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, uh, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We do have some lines open if you'd like to get lined up. And first caller of the day is going to be Doug, and he lives in St. Charles. Hi, Doug. Hello. Hi. I've got a couple of questions. One is my neighborhood is uh, loaded with trees that are shedding their pine needles, and they're laying in the streets. Would pine needles work as a uh, kind of as a mulch type of thing? And the other question is, how do you determine what plants can be wintered over outside if they're in pots, and which ones can be have to be moved inside? Well, pretty much in, most of the ones that are, are, are probably in pots, if they're tropicals, they're not going to be able to survive outside. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's just you don't know. But as far as, so, I mean, if you want to be experimental, just keep a list of the ones that you've left outside and see if they do come back. But it's all going to depend upon what the weather was that particular winter because if they survive one winter, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to survive another one if it gets more severe as far as temperature-wise and everything else. And also with the pine needles, yeah, pine needles can be used as a mulch for sure. I mean, it's not the ideal circumstance, but definitely underneath plants that uh, like acidic soils, so underneath things like azaleas, holly, all the broadleaf evergreens, but definitely not underneath lilacs or clematis because they like an alkaline soil, so that might add some acidity with the pine needles versus the alkalinity that the plants actually need. So let's go now to Dave's yard, David's yard. Hi, David. Oh, thanks, Mike. Um, yeah, I, uh, if I understand right, with uh, COVID, it's going to be really important that we get fresh produce uh, you know, the, the better quality food you eat, uh, the less chance it's going to uh, kill you. So I'm wondering if uh, you've got any recommendations for the types of, uh, is, is there a possibility of growing greens uh, during the winter? Uh, and uh, as an adjunct to this, uh, you remember sprouts used to be real popular. Um, are there ways that uh, people can buy I think they used to do alfalfa seed and sunflower seeds, things like that, and and do sprouts, you know, for fresh kind of greens. Uh, you got any ideas about that? Well, I mean, you could grow, you know, lettuce and things like that, any of those really leafy things through the winter until it gets severely cold. And then some people have, you know, more or less Quonset huts, and they're even small ones in their backyard that offers, you know, a buffer to the temperature-wise, and they have greens kind of almost the entire winter time. And that's just with me walking down alleys and stuff, kind of looking in backyards. That's how, you know, I don't do that myself, but, uh, yeah, there is a way to do it. And, you know, sprouted uh, sunflower seeds, I don't, you know, I don't know about how that would taste or anything else, but uh, you can give it a try. Yeah, sunflower seeds were real tasty and they're kind of crunchy. Oh, really? uh, As as an adjunct to that, too, um, I, you know, of course, the Congress is uh, fighting over the stimulus bill, 
you think there's any chance that we could get uh, in the stimulus bill? Uh, you remember in World War II, they used to do victory gardens. Right. And um, if we could save a million lives by, you know, victory gardens, uh, it, apparently if COVID, we're not even at 5% dead. Uh, they're counting on maybe six million dead if we go to this stupid herd immunity thing. Mm. And so uh, the idea of victory gardens, we might save millions of lives just by providing good food uh, in local gardens. Right. Uh, you know, you don't want you don't want starving people scrounging for food in the middle of an epidemic. If there's some way that we could get victory gardens going so that uh, people would have backyard gardens and they wouldn't have to go too far for food right that would make good sense so thanks a lot i greatly appreciate your insight sure and now let's go from david's to uh joyce and joyce lives in o'fallon hi joyce hi mike thank you so much for taking our call and i say our because i'm actually calling on behalf of my neighborhood Uh aha and i know you've addressed this subject many times but uh, quite frankly i didn't pay attention because it didn't apply to our neighborhood. But uh, just so you know, there is a war going on in O'Fallon, Illinois, of chipmunks versus homeowners. (laughs) And chipmunks are 10, homeowners are zero. Can you please go over again the recommendations of how we can at least even the score because they are winning. Yeah, chipmunks are rough. We, you know, growing up in Ellisville, we had chipmunks underneath our front porch, and they did. You know, they couldn't do some major damage. Uh, my mother loved them. She didn't care what kind of damage they did to the plant material, so we just kind of left. You know, let them go or whatever. But uh, yeah, probably you know, using to me the best thing to do is like put Velveeta cheese on a rat trap. Find out where they're coming out of the ground and use that as an inducement for them to come near the rat trap and then trap them that way. Now, there is sure. have a heart traps and things like that. You could put some something in there to induce them to come into the trap. But, um, it's you know, when you're talking about a cir- circumstance like you guys have where there's way too many chipmunks and not enough uh, you know, people trying to get them under control, I would say, I don't want to say kill them, but, yeah, kill them. Sure. Oh, and, and obviously, we we don't want to or don't want to do that. But uh, just uh, again, for your listeners' information, they they are cute and we do love them. However, it is getting so bad that they're actually getting into the garages. And one of my neighbors, I guess, when they closed their garage door at night, actually trapped one in there, and it actually chewed on their brake line. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? But. <laughs> Anyway, uh, thank you for that information, and uh, we have we've researched the internet, and I mean, I don't know. Like I said, their score is still ten, so we'll uh, I'll keep your prize of how the the battle is going here in Illinois. But thank you, thank you for that information. Certainly, my pleasure. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you can put uh, Velveeta cheese and you know maybe something else to try to ensure that you're going to entice them and. And get to, and take care of them that way. And also, way back when, they used to s- trap chipmunks and skin them, and then they used them to make hats. Oh. <laughs> I think we'll just stick with the velvet cheese. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for the information. Certainly. Thanks, Joyce. Bye-bye. And now let's head to Winsville and go into Kathy's yard. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have two questions, please. First, um, I have a hydrangea tree. It's a 
miniature tree, and it it did beautifully. But um, it is so over on one part of it, it needs to be really some branches taken off to, to shape it up. Is it okay to do that now? Uh, the foliage is starting to fall off, so yes, you can certainly do it. But just, just you know, okay. don't just stub it back. Take that okay. one branch that you think is you know out of place, oh. more or less, mm-hmm. and cut it back all the way to either the major branch that's coming out of or the trunk. Okay. Okay. And my second question is, I know you really don't like the houseplant questions too much, but oh, I, don't I, hap- <laughs> I happen to have luck this time with um, gardenia. It was just a beautifully on the sun porch. So now I'm bringing it in the house. So do I just let it sort of treat the same way, or do I let it go sort of dormant? Well, you're going to definitely not fertilize. You're definitely going to cut back on the watering, but it definitely needs as much sun as possible. It needs a lot of sun. Okay. Right. Okay. I do have a place for it then. Great. Okay. Well, thank you for your information. Certainly. My pleasure. Uh-huh. Have a good day. Yeah, I don't mind uh, you know, houseplant questions at all. So. Uh, okay. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Speaking of houseplants, you better get them inside real soon because, I mean, when was it? Was it uh, Thursday? Waking up and seeing frost all over everything, cars, windshields, you know, athletic fields, lawns and everything. It's that's not a freeze, but it's showing you the freeze is coming and that could do some major damage to any kind of and the gentleman who asked about leaving plants outside and see if they'll survive, that's just gonna be an iffy type thing. So anyway, thanks, Kathy. Uh-huh. Thank you. Yep, and now let's go to Vince's yard and he lives in Fenton. Hi Vince. Hi Mike. I, I love your show and I had two questions for you if I could ask you. First of all, I was reading in the paper yesterday that uh, this drought we're going through, uh, meteorologists are talking about it going through the through the winter Ooh. with very little rain and snow. And I was a little concerned. Once the ground freezes, should I be worried about my lawns and plants? And what can I do about that? Well, basically, just water it all the way till the ground freezes. So keep watering, in other words. So well, I never see any of my neighbors water their lawns, and I'm wondering if we're all going down. <laughs> <laughs> well, Together here. yeah, it could be some major problems because if, you know, the ground is dry, what happens is moisture, let's say, expands the soil, expands the microbes and everything else, and that prevents air pockets. So when the soil is really dry, then you get air pockets in there. When the ground gets really cold, those air pockets fill in with really cold temperatures and then that does damage to the root system. So that's where the problem with drought comes from is in, in the wintertime. So, you know, they're just taking a chance by not watering. Right, right. So I, by the end of November, I should make sure I get a, a lot of water out there. Yeah, between now and then, yes, definitely. And one other thing. I, I know you always say at this time of year you get with your lawnmower and you just mulch up all your leaves going over them. But I never hear you talk about how hard it is to breathe when you do that. Do you ever wear a mask? <laughs> no, I don't. But I'll tell you what. I do have sometimes sneezing attacks afterwards. And I don't do it with all the leaves. I just have to do it with some of them because we live right across the street from Christie Park. And we're on the northeast corner. And the prevailing southwest winds blow huge amounts of leaves into the yard. So for the most part, I feel... Probably an average of any place between, I don't know, number-wise. But 55-gallon plastic bags 
of leaves and I take them back to the yard waste dumpster and I dump them out. I don't put the plastic bags in there. But it is incredible the amount of leaves I get uh, every right, year. Right. Well, even when I'm bagging my leaves, I find the, the small particulates up in the air. But I, I, I think to myself, well, this isn't doing my lungs any good. Right, or it gets in your eyes, too. That's you know, one of the problems. Yeah. Well, well, thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate it. Well, my pleasure. And Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. You might be out uh, walking through your bed spaces or your lawn area and you see a plant called Creeping Charlie. And I don't know what it is. It's also called Ground Ivy. This is a perennial evergreen creeper. It has scalloped leaves that form really at the end of long stalks. And it is a member of the mint family, so you know that means it's aggressive. And the stems are square. So if you don't know what this is, it has purple-blue flowers as well. Uh, Probably no longer flowering because the flowering is going to be from late spring to uh, early summer. It is native to Europe. It spreads by seeds and the creeping stems as well. So Creeping Charlie is one of those aggressive plants that has been introduced here and is very, very aggressive and moist in shady areas, but can tolerate most other conditions as well. So Creeping Charlie, check it out. And now where should we go? Let's go to Ed's yard. Hi, Ed. Hello, Ed. Ed. Whoops. Sounds like Ed's... Got distracted. And let's go to Kathy's yard instead. Hi, Kathy. Yes, good morning. Good morning. I have a question about my oak leaf holly. I'm sorry, I'm out of breath. I was mopping my floor. Um, These were planted in my front yard um, on the south side of the yard, but north of a fence. And so they don't get a lot of sun. They were planted 10 years ago, four of them. Two I lost, and the other two, we managed to salvage them. I pruned them way back, the dead wood, and they still, they're just not growing uh, vertically. They're growing horizontally, and they look really healthy. How, what can I do to get these to grow vertically? Vertically, I feed them every spring. Um, Anything else? Any other suggestions? Now, you said it was oak leaf holly. Are you saying? That's what I was told, yeah. I never heard of an oak leaf holly. Oh, okay. Well, it's a holly. It's some kind of holly tree. So, well, there's, I mean, there's the American holly. There's a couple, there's foster holly. Hmm. So. I I don't know which one. I don't know which one. Yeah, as long as it's, you know, it's a holly. So it's a broadleaf evergreen, correct? Yes. And so consequently, it needs an acidic soil. It needs to be Mm -hmm. fertilized in the springtime from, like, let's say March through June. No fertilizer after that. Okay. That's the ideal situation. And holly in general, they can survive in a shaded circumstance, but that's not the most ideal place for them. Okay. Well, that's probably why they're not growing. Yeah, that's probably a lot of it. And if they're not growing vertically and they're only growing horizontal, that's, you know, that's sort of... Strange, because <laughs> yeah, I, I mean genetically they don't they don't grow horizontally only they go up, 
now yeah. in a natural cone shape for the most part. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think they've gotten about as wide as they're going to get. Um, they just haven't grown, grown any taller. I mean, they look healthy mm-hmm. now, but, um, all right. I'm, we just wanted to hang in there with them because they, you know, they still look healthy. They're just not the shape that I want. Are they producing berries? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and the re- they're red berries and everything. So, yeah. So yeah, and if they're if they're really dense and tight, that's probably an American holly versus a foster holly, which usually has a more open habit. And okay. the American holly has a much wider leaf. The foster holly has a more narrow evergreen leaf. Okay. Okay. Well, all right. So I think probably location is my main right. problem yeah. here. Yeah. Whoever okay. advised you to put them there didn't do you a very good favor. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Certainly. My pleasure. And now let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hi. Uh, I have a uh, cottage garden with uh, flowers, you know, mostly annual flower mixes, you know, zinnias and stuff, Mm -hmm. which was a combination of flowers and weeds. And now that uh, falls here, should I cut them down and leave them or cut them down and remove everything and start again next year? Well, like the zinnias, you can cut the flower heads off, put them in a paper bag, and then they're going to drop seeds in the bag, okay. and you can replant those seeds. My brother uh, has had zinnias from plants from like 20-plus years ago. He's even okay. moved and took the seeds with him with the seed heads, and uh, so cool. that's cool. you could do that, and then just cut the rest of the stems off. So all you need to do is save the, you know, the flower heads of the zinnias. Right. Um, what about like the rest of the flowers that are in there? Is it best to just cut everything? You know, once you take the seeds off those, just uh, cut it all down and start over next year with new seed or? Yeah, and with either new seed or new plant material. For the most part, some of the annuals will come back, but uh, right. a lot of them just won't. You know, the zinnias, you could even let some of the seed heads stay and drop and let it go. Mm-hmm. You see what happens as a result of that. But you have to be okay. careful in the spring because when they're germinating, you can't don't get them confused with, let's say, weeds that are germinating at the same time. So that's a kind yeah, of the downside. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get rid of the weeds, but keep the flowers. Yeah, you know, exactly. That's a you got to be a real very cautious. Let's put it that way. Okay. Thank you. Yep, my pleasure. Yeah. So yeah, the the annuals for the most part just yeah, I mean they're annuals. Now, there are some like the sweet alyssum, which is an annual-type ground cover that drops seeds, and then the seeds lay there all winter long, and then they just come up in the springtime. So There are some that will, but for the most part, that's not the case. Okay, thank you. Yep, and now let's go to Edwardsville and into Norman's yard. Hi, Norman. Yes, this is Norm. Uh, Since the pandemic, uh, I started a garden this spring to do something. And the ground is really hard. Ooh. I would like to maybe do it again next year. And I like to soften the ground up with that. Uh, wooden chip mulch work or not? No, do not put mulch down into the ground because the wood pieces actually absorb moisture, absorb nutrients, and cause major problems. So you got to use compost to put into the ground, not mulch. Compost? Yes. 
Okay. Well, I guess a lot of, I guess what I need, I guess. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, and ideally, if you have some really horrible, you know, circumstances, I know Edwardsville is not that close to Belleville, but you can go down to Belleville to the St. Louis composting location and get their raised bed mix. And that's an ideal to, to actually blend in with the existing soil, elevate the soil's level. So you're going to put a couple inches of this in, and that will help tremendously. Okay, and then you said later on about using a, a, a cover for pine needles. I thought they killed everything. No, not necessarily. I mean... Uh, uh, well, how would that work for blueberries? Uh, yeah, should. Shouldn't be a problem. So use that. I thought that there was bad, you know, pine needles killed everything. But Okay, that helped me a lot. That all I need is... Uh, uh, well, what did you say about? Yeah, you can either get a topsoil compost mix, or the okay. St. Louis Composting has one specifically for it called raised bed mix, and that elevates the bed space, and that's okay. going to make the plants that you grow in there have a, a much better environment. Okay, okay, thank you. Certainly. Bye. Yeah, and a lot of times people think uh, pine needles will kill. Because underneath pine trees, you don't see a whole lot of stuff growing. But that has a lot more to do. Yes, the needles do have somewhat of an impact. But also, it's the surface rooting of the pine trees that cause the problem as well. So let's go to uh, Bob. And he lives in Edwardsville as well. Hi, Bob. Hello. Uh, I When I was at the Botanical Gardens a year ago, I saw... Uh, lantana and I really liked it and I'd like to grow it here but when I look into it it appears that uh, it's iffy in this area Um, the place where I'd like to grow it is uh, in front of a patio doors that are up in the winter time only and therefore the snow never accumulates in that place would lantana grow there and survive? Are we talking about uh, lantana will not survive our winter times outside? No matter what. No matter what. Okay, and then so we put it in. You could you dig it out, take it in, and put it back out, or is it just an annual? Well, uh, for the most part, it is an annual. But I actually had some a gentleman that I've known for multiple years. He's he's growing lantana, and he's going to try to. He brings in his coleus. He brings in several different things. He's got three pots of lantana, and he's going to try to bring them in and see what happens. But uh, for the most part, they're just, you know, at the end of the season, you don't have to. But uh, I have grow my lantana in pots, but I don't bring, you know, bother bringing it in personally. I just get new plants in the following year. But uh, you could try, but they, you know, if you're going to bring them in, just realize that they have to be in a very, very bright, sunny window. They have to almost go to a drought circumstance. Overwatering lantana is really horrible, especially if they're inside. And that's speaking of, like, you know, at the Botanical Garden where they used to have a big lantana display in the desert house, in the Mediterranean house. You just had to be really cautious when you're on a staff, when you're a staff member. To you know, keep the water off those particular plants, even in a well-drained soil circumstance. Hmm. They're a beautiful plant. 
and I'd sure like to have them. Yeah, they are great. I mean, I like them myself. Are they readily available at the greenhouses around here? Yeah, in the springtime, you can find them in lots of different places and kind of multiple sizes. You you can find them in like a six-inch pot, you know, a, you know let's say a th- two-gallon, a three-gallon. I've even seen some in five gallons. If you buy the little one, how long would it take for it to get in to, to the size of uh, a foot or two across? And... Uh, probably most of the growing season. Okay. Okay. I You were talking about the seeding. I have uh, harvested seeds from zinnias and marigolds for the last four years. All right. And I get this summer the most beautiful yard I ever had. They just prosper. But I harvest enough seeds that I put them out early, and then they don't always take. So I... Even if something's popping up, I put more seeds out uh, later, let's say in May sometime. Right. So it, uh, sometimes they grow early and sometimes they don't. Yeah, it's all going to be according to soil temperatures. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. Yep, my pleasure. Okay, see you. Bye-bye. Yep, and enjoy your lantana. They're one of my favorites, too. I mean, you talk about consistent flowering, tough. They're almost shrub-like, so they're not the classic type uh Annuals. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. And let's head to Clayton, and that's where Jason lives. Hi, Jason. Hey, Mike. Good morning. I had seen at a local box store a bunch of hostas on sale, and I'm wondering, can I split those? now or should i just put them in the ground i would say just put them in the ground i mean you could pull them out shake them shake all the you know potting mix off this root system but i my guess is you're not going to see it's going to be difficult to divide them and by doing that it's uh might be a little bit iffy as far as their hardiness goes so i would just leave them alone grow them in the ground for a couple years and then do the divisions i appreciate it mike thank you sure my pleasure yeah and uh a lot of times this time of year, a lot of the garden centers are going to have reduced prices on stuff. So just realize there could be some deals out there, folks. Let's go to Chesterfield and see what's going on with Marge. Hi, Marge. Morning, Mike. Hi. I have a three-year-old ginkgo tree by the street, and it looks like a deer rutted about six inches of the bark off the tree. Um, is there anything I can do about that besides uh, put up some fencing around it or something? Yeah, I or mean, it- that might help, but... Uh, Basically, any kind of shredded bark that's on the trunk that's still there from the deer, uh, you know, go out there with a razor blade knife and cut all that off. But uh, other than that, there's not too much else you can do. The pruning sealers, you know, or damage control type things, just they, you know, they're more cosmetic. They don't really help the plant all that much. So, so chances are it's not it's not going to die because something's missing. Well, I mean, it's not good. Because okay. <laughs> basically right underneath the bark is where the vascular system, the veins yeah. take nutrients and yeah. moisture up and down. You okay. Know, so that's where the problem is. You're reducing it. And I don't know how big the diameter of the trunk is. but uh, um, It's three years old, so it's probably about um, seven or eight inches. Oh, so, yeah, it's not a, you know an well, ideal circumference. Me. I mean, the diameter is t- probably more like uh, six inches. Yeah, so... 
it's not an ideal circumstance, but uh, okay. the chances of survival are probably pretty good. Okay, thanks, thanks for your show, Mike. Thank sure. you. Well, thank you. And Barbara, could you do it kind of quick? Yes. Yes, I can. Okay. Uh, good morning. And I have a tree that I need to transplant from my mother's house to mine. It's one of the red oriental maples, and I'm wondering if this is a good time since it's so dry to dig it up and bring it over to my yard. As long as you got the area that you're moving it to in a well-prepared soil and you're going to be willing to water it, for I mean, almost daily for the first two weeks after you move it, and then routinely beyond that if we, you know, have this continuous drought circumstance. So, yes, you could do it now, and uh, just make sure you get the root ball, pretty good-sized root ball. I don't know how big the trunk is, but uh, your, the root ball is going to probably be pretty heavy, I would think. I don't know how big her tree is or anything else. Uh, it's about three foot tall, and I would say the trunk I could— you know, I would, I, I could probably put my fingers around it. Right. Um, you know, average size woman, and I could probably put my fingers around it. So it's one of the uh, dissectum. So in other words, one that grows like an umbrella. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, just realize that you probably the root ball on a trunk that of that size, the root ball should be about uh, eighteen inches across and about nine inches deep. Okay. All right. Thank you. And then before you before you dig right before, make sure you water it really well because that's really important too. So, thanks, Barbara. Great. Okay. You know, good luck with that. And just have the spot where you're going to move it uh, all prepared before you do the moving. And uh, folks, three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Back uh, one quick thing about the creeping Charlie. It was actually used. To make beer by the ancient Saxons. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, the Garden Hotline tip of the trial hour. I'll be giving that shortly, but right now you can call 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Alex will answer the phone. He just needs your name and where you're calling from, and you can call with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And Mr. Kelly, I see you're Yo. trying to take off. Uh, no. So, oh, so like, good. if there's forty mile an hour winds, mm-hmm. now that's taken a, kind of off flat areas. Does the wind accelerate where you're? Your home is? Yeah, we're pretty high up there. So if we get a breeze, we get a, a good breeze. So it really so, yeah, s- it, speeds it up? Yeah. I would not be burning anything today. <laughs> we actually, many years ago, my first wife and I, we lived out in the country down in western Missouri, down near Miami, Missouri. Or it was Miami, Missouri. I'm not sure which. And and we tried to burn off like a strawberry patch, and it got out of control. Whoa. And it is amazing how quickly it goes. And it just took off. So we, we were getting, you know, buckets of water and everything we could. We called the fire department, and later on they called us and said, you know, we couldn't come out anyway because you guys aren't part of our group. <laughs> so you were in the wrong area? No, it was, you had to buy into the fire department. You had, like, to pay for it. Whoa. It, yeah, like a co-op type of thing. And the owner of the house we were living in, which was like an old, I think it was an old schoolhouse, and uh, they didn't, 
they hadn't paid their dues. And so they were like, you know, we probably would have come out, but, you know, uh, you're not a member. You might want to get that fixed. It's like, yeah, I think we will. So, yeah, that's living in the old days. I was just curious, you know, with the exposure, how the wind was going to be for you guys. Yeah, our house will will have a pretty good breeze going. Really? Yeah. So it'll be fun. Yeah, it could be. Get (laughs) Get out the kite. It sounds perfect. Yes, folks, and by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selections, carings for, ups and downs, and all around. Uh, annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, shrubs, trees, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Alex is producing, so he answers the phone. And so first name and where you're calling from is all he needs to know. And uh, during the week, I spend my time doing landscape consulting. So I can come to your home and we do what I call a walk and talk where you'll have a list of questions and you can record on your phone or record however you want to or just take notes. It's really up to you. I no longer do any kind of formal designs. when I turned in the late 60s and everything else, because I always did all the measuring and everything myself, it just got to be, oh, you can't do it. I just, well, anyway. So I strictly do walk and talks, uh, no formal designs whatsoever. When I come to your home for the walk and talk, I share 40 years of experience as it relates to your individual home's landscape design, care, and plant maintenance. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. You know, are you kind of tired of, you know, all this kind of nutty stuff as a result of, you know, this COVID and everything else? Well, I'll tell you, 10 o'clock today, October 17th, the Friends Day at the Green Center and they're going to be hosting a fall market from 10 to you know 10 this morning till noon. And you can you come with friends and everything else and just it'll brighten your day. It's just a, a great fun place just overall in general. And they're going to have a variety of flower bouquets. They're going to have sweet and savory treats and all kinds of other things as well. Now, where is the Green Center located? Well, they're in University City on Blackberry Avenue, 80 25 Blackberry Avenue. So you want to, you're kind of sick and tired of the normal, let's say, routines that you're having to deal with. This is going to be a, a fun t- couple hours. So why not get out and do something a little bit different? Again, it's the Green Center, 8025 Blackberry Avenue, and that's in University City. Also, tip of the trial goes out to Brightside St. Louis. They they were overwhelmed by how well the bulb sale did for them this year. They sold 37,000 daffodils and tulips, bulbs. And they're look, looking forward to just seeing all this color across the entire region. Brightside wants to thank, thank also St. Louis University APO volunteers who safely helped distribute bulb orders, bulb order, orders, orders. <laughs> At the greenhouse in Forest Park. And the volunteers loaded up, you know, I mean, they helped load a thousand native plants, which are now going to be planted at 16 different neighbors, nature scaping gardens, and all kinds of other stuff as well. So 
Uh, Brightside St. Louis just did a great job with their bulb sales, and they've got all kinds of perennials that are going into community garden spaces. So look for these plants, the bulbs, to brighten community gardens, city parks, city barricades, and other green spaces throughout the entire city. Brightside St. Louis is just an incredible organization, and uh, they just keep going and going and going. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's see if we can get Jeff in before we take a break. Jeff, how are you? Good, thanks, Mike. Can you hear me? Yes. Hey, I just had a comment and a question. The comment was around transplanting that Japanese maple. I didn't transplant one, but you and I talked about this a couple of years ago. I had a couple of trees die, so it was exposed to light that it had not grown under. Uh-huh. It was a 40, about a 45-year-old tree, so it just cooked <laughs> in the spring. <laughs> um, so I guess my only thought was, you know, given my experience, that, that that lady may want to think about making sure she's putting it into a similar circumstance. If it was exposed to a lot of light, that's great. If not, then she might want to think about where she's putting it. Right. Good idea. Yeah, boy, that was a really a shame having to watch that thing die. Ooh. Anyway, yeah, terrible. <laughs> um, so the question was, uh, I think the things are called alums. I'm not sure what the word is. It's a plant that, it's a bulb that you plant. It has one stem that comes straight up, and then it creates this ball at the top. They're purple. Right. Yeah, they're flowering onions, alliums. Yeah, yeah, okay, thank you. Um we planted a bunch of those, and they did not survive. Are they not really appropriate for St. Louis, or do you think it was our location? It probably was the location because they do pretty well, and there, there's probably like there's multiple varieties of them. Some of them are have the huge purple balls, almost the size of a softball. Some of them like a, almost the size of a, a kind of a big marble. So it's variety-wise as much as anything. So just mm. they just need to be in a really well-drained soil, and uh, that's pretty much all they really need. Okay. Well, we'll give it a shot. We'll give it again because they're, they're so cool looking in the spring. They're just like from another planet. <laughs> they are, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much. We went through the garden yesterday. It was a wonderful day. It's beautiful down there right now. All right. Sounds perfect. Thanks. Thank you. Take care. Yep. And let's go to Claudia's. Hi. Hi. Um, I've got a tree that's about 18 inches in diameter, about 14 feet from my house, and I see roots coming up to the foundation. Um, do I have to cut it down? <laughs> uh, not necessarily. It depends. You know, I mean, it's not the not a great circumstance because the roots then are going to hit the concrete, then they're going to go down. And consequently, if they find a small fissure in your foundation, they could push into that a little bit. So that's where the you know the problem comes. But uh, yeah, ideally, you just don't want to put any kind of tree, even if you're not going to see the surface rooting, because the roots are underneath the ground and they're they're going to be roadblocked by the house foundation. Well, a guy came and looked at it. And he said, "Yeah." It probably should go down. Now, I thought it was a bald cypress. He says it's a dawn redwood. Oh. It's already three stories high. Oh, wow. Should I? I hate to cut it down, but it's like I said, the the roots are close, and I just didn't. He said you could perhaps put a trencher along the foundation to break up those roots, but that might kill the tree. Yeah, it's definitely, once you sort of reduce the root mass, 
than it could have, especially a tree of this size. Now you realize how expensive this is going to be to take down, too. Yeah, I got it. I got an estimate. He told me. <laughs> but <laughs> in reality, yeah, that's expensive. But if it starts doing damage to your foundation, then you got that expense as yeah. well as you know taking the tree down. So yeah, so stitch and time saves nine. Exactly. Yeah, Dawn Redwood's kind of a cool tree. Not too it's many people beautiful. have those. Yeah, apparently the people who lived here before us, you know, took the time to put that lovely tree there. They just planted it too close. Right. Most people don't plan for maturity. (laughs) Yes. Okay, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but thank you. Yep. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and let's head over to Vicky's yard. Hi, Vicki. Hi, I got a question for you, Mike. Um, last spring I bought two potted hibiscus plants, and I wanted to bring them in, see if I could save them and put them out again next summer. And my brother is going to take one of them and put them in the basement, and I was going to take one and put it in front of a sunny window. Do either one of us have a chance of that plant surviving? Well, in the basement without grow lights or something, no, that will not survive. Even if he's got, you know, unless he's got a really, like, walkout basement with, you know, sliding glass doors or something. Hibiscus have to have a huge amount of light in this, you know, in the wintertime. And also realize the hibiscus is going to probably lose up to 75% of its leaves through the wintertime. So then when you put it back outside next spring, you'll probably cut it back. And then, you know, move it outside. So I should cut it back next spring before I move it outside. Right, exactly. Because it's going to, what's going to happen is if you don't, then you're going to have extended areas along the branches that don't have any leaves at all. And then you're going to have a lot of leaves slash flowers at the tips or the end of the branches. And then consequently, that could be, you know, problematic from, you know, a weight standpoint. So... Yeah, prune it when you move it outside. You're going to be moving it outside sometime between mid to late April, early May. Okay, and do I water it a lot through the winter or not much at all? Not, you know, wait, you know, just watch the inside of the pot. And when you start to see the uh, gap between the potting mix and the uh, inside of the pot, then water it really well and then don't water it again until you start to see that gap return. Okay. And All no, right. Thank you. Yeah, I know fertilizer during the winter time. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mike. Yep. And let's go to Leslie, and he lives in Maryland Heights. Hi, Leslie. Hi, Mike. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, good morning. Uh, a couple of years ago, I bought the, these uh, sugar sweet melons uh, from Chinooks. Absolutely phenomenal. So they come out of a uh, ranch in uh, Texas. I called them up thinking that maybe I could take the seeds and plant them. And they said, there's no way you'll get the same thing because it's hybrid seeds. And we did plant them, and we got a variety of different kinds of, of uh, cantaloupe with all different things. Every once in a while, we get one that was actually like theirs. What's the situation with hybrid seeds? Well, basically, they're hybrids from the standpoint the seed has been let's say grown, and then once it you know is grown, the seeds uh, comes out of the fruit – has been altered just by the natural process of the growth. So you can't necessarily keep that hybridization within the seed of a plant that's grown. 
So in other words, they told us we couldn't possibly get the same kind of melon uh, just by taking the seeds out of the melon we ate. Right. So in other words, that's a very specific type of hybridizing, and it's going to be genetically mutated by the just the growth process inside the fruit of the plant that you're growing. Well, how, do, how do they do that, though? Well, they, you know, they, they scientifically do it. So in other words, they control it where things that you're not able to do. Let's oh, okay. <laughs> Obviously. Right. Okay. Appreciate the information. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, hybridizing, you know, the seed is a very, very involved process. So it's uh, you're not going to be able to do that in your own home circumstance. Well, well, like I said, every once in a while, we get one that's exactly like it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So, yeah. Roll the dice. Thank you. Yep. And now Bye-bye. let's go to Edward's yard. Hi, Edward. Ed. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I had uh, our lawn aerated and seeded a couple days ago. Um, what's next? Uh, how much water? How often? Uh, first, you know, first couple, you know, first probably ten or twelve days, I'd water daily. Okay. And you know, for I don't know how big the area is, you know, how big your yard is or anything else, but. You know, that seed needs to be damp, so when it germinates, it's not going to dehydrate as a result of, like, if it was already growing and it was relatively new plants from the seeds and we're going to have, like, 40-mile-an-hour winds, that's going to dehydrate the soil extremely, and especially when we already have a dry soil. So you don't want to – you want to keep it moist for the until you start to see it grow. Then you can water less often, probably every couple days – but you just want to make sure that you keep the the young, newly germinated seed uh, slash plants. You know, make sure they don't go through any kind of drought because the root system is not deep enough into the ground where it can't handle a dry circumstance. So if you just kind of skip the watering for a week or two, the plants, you know, the grass plants are not going to be able to survive. I see. So for a couple of weeks. Uh, I have to uh, make sure I water. For yeah, seven. Yeah, probably seven to fourteen days. Again, we can keep your fingers crossed that we might have some rain. But uh, there's, I think, predicting rain for next Monday or Tuesday. But it ha- when they're saying rain, it's not really rain that's going to soak into the ground. And that's another thing too for everybody, not just you. When the ground is this dry and they're predicting rain. Ideally, you should be out in water right before they're predicting the rain because that allows the water from the rain to penetrate into the ground. It's so hard, hard surface. If you haven't been watering regularly, it's just going to run off and it's not going to help at all. I see. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. And let's go to Pat's yard. Hi, Pat. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. We are going to overwinter a hibiscus tree and a gardenia tree, which we've done in the past. But for the first time last year, we had bugs that worked their way upstairs from the plants. We wondered if there was some kind of spray we could use to prevent that. Yeah, I mean, use, you can use an insecticidal soap to spray and then also use insecticidal soap to make a soil drench to pour onto the pots. You know, onto okay, the potting so they're mix. in a whiskey barrel, so that would be all right. It's just like you said, it's an insecticidal insecticidal soap yeah that's it i mean you buy that at the garden center and uh then also you can get the concentrate you can get the spray you know already or you can get the concentrate and that's what you want to mix in like a bucket of water 
And then if you have fungus gnats or something like that, just pour it on the surface, and then you've got to do it a couple times because the fungus gnats last, uh, I think they live for three or four days, but they're laying eggs that whole, you know, whole time. So you're just going to have to stay on top of it. Okay. So before you bring it in, you spray it then for the first time and then bring it in? Yeah, right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. Yep. And now let's go to Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Hello. Hi. I was wondering with the three numbers on manure mix, uh, common manure mix, what's the best numbers? I was going to apply some to my lawn. As far as, you mean bag bag manure? Yes, sir. Uh, it's just the nitrogen is going to be the first number. So it does, ideally you would have a soil test done because the second number is phosphorus and then the third number is potassium. The phosphorus and potassium stay in the ground for quite a while. So if you historically have been uh, you know, putting fertilizer down, you want those numbers to be fairly low. So manure-wise, I don't know what the norm, numbers normally are. My guess is probably is they're fairly low. I would think tens or less. So, I have uh, three numbers of five each. Yeah. So basically... Your, the nitrogen is going to stay in the ground only a couple days, and then it goes up into the air. So you could certainly use it as a you know to feed your lawn. Okay, again, great. Thank you very much. Yep. And let's see, where should we go now? How about Larry? And he lives in Springfield, Missouri. Hi, Larry. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Mike, I've got a begonia plant that I was going to treat as an annual plant, and my neighbor would like to uh, have this plant. Uh, she's going to bring it inside. Do you have any suggestions as far as uh, for begonia, as far as watering and light, and where should she uh, place the plant inside the house? Uh, even though it's one that I don't know which, I mean, there's so many different varieties of begonias, but uh as bright as much light as she can possibly give it would be the ideal circumstance. And uh, I'm assuming that it's going to stay in, it's in a pot now. It's not in the ground, correct? No, it's in a pot. Okay. So then that's, you know, just. But I'm going to, I'm going to repot it to a different pot because this is, this begonia is huge. It's what to call a. Uh, Angel wing or devil wing. Um. That I don't, I'm not sure on that. Okay, but uh, yeah, just uh, you know, repotting it when you bring it inside is not the best or most ideal thing to do. But if you've got it's your personal pot and you want to put it into something, just make sure that the pot you put it in is no bigger and certainly no smaller than the pot it is. So in other words, you want to pull it out of the pot it's in and put it in a pot pretty much exactly the same size. Okay. And a pla- you know, plastic pot, you know, tell her to get a saucer and just, you know, they like begonias are f- pretty darn tough, but still don't o- tell her not to overwater. She's better to underwater as opposed to overwater. All right. I'll, I'll do it. Thank, thank you very much, Mike. And yep. Have a good weekend. You do the same. So in other words, it's just like every, po- you know, any plant on the inside you wait until this potting mix shrinks away from the inside of the pot, then you water it at that time. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. 
Yes, folks, we have some phone lines open, so give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Terry's yard. Terry, how are you? Hello. Hi. Um, I um, uh, just want to uh, give you some information about hibiscus trees in the wintertime. A friend of mine gave me this tip, so this was not my idea, but I tried it. You 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 bring in the hibiscus tree and you put it. I put it in my basement, and it's in the laundry room where it gets no light. There's uh, the windows covered up, so there's no light in there. And um, what happens is you you uh, it'll lose all of its leaves, and then you you put uh, you just water it and keep it keep the soil wet, not sitting in water, but just keep it moist. And um, I did that with two plants uh, this past winter, and one came back and it, it's been blooming all year, all all season long. And the other one I let dry out. Uh, that was my fault, and that one did not come back. Oh, that's interesting. I've never heard of that one. To so just let it go. I, did, I didn't believe it either until I tried it. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Well, great. Well, thanks yeah. for the insight. So what I did, I just took the uh, the, the branches as they were kind of spreading out and getting in the way in the laundry room. So I just kind of wrapped them in, in uh, string, and um, so kind of c- compacting the whole thing. And um, and uh, you know, I I figured what the heck, uh, it was worth worth a shot. And I'll be darned, it it, it, it all worked out. So. All right. Well, great. Well, thanks for the insight. All righty. And now let's go from Terry's over to Karen's. Hi, Karen. Hello. Hi. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Um, I have a hibiscus, too, and apparently you must have been talking about it before I turned it on. I'm not sure if it is this, but it says something about on the Internet, Genius, uh, hibiscus, or something like that. I don't think it's the tree one. It was a gift from somebody, but it's big. It's probably uh, three to four foot tall and bushy. And I would like to save that for next year. Can I cut those limbs off and put them in the basement, or do you not know? Uh, well, this gentleman here said just you know, put them and let it go totally dormant and then just make sure the potting mix that it's growing in has some moisture. I've never done that myself. Generally, I always tell people, bring it inside, you know, put it in a bright, sunny window, and uh, just normally no fertilizer during the wintertime. And just water it to keep the potting mix, you know, damp, not soggy. But uh, but this is not the tree style. This is the one that is bushy from the ground up. Well, they're basically the same plant. The tree one has just been pruned to look like a tree. Okay. Historically, okay. they're not really trees themselves, but they prune them just like with some hydrangeas and other things. They turn them into trees even though they're truly not trees. So uh, you don't think I can cut the ends off of this this? Because, I mean, like, it is big and bushy. Yeah, I mean, you could prune it, but then you expect what happens if you prune it, you're definitely not going to have any flowering during the wintertime, and you're definitely maybe going to have with the stems, because you've cut off the newest leaves, you may have stems that are remaining that have no foliage on them at all by the time half the winter is over. Yeah, as long as it comes back in the spring, I don't care. Yeah, Uh, so apparently this guy says, yeah, just make sure the potting mix stays damp, not soggy. Okay, okay. 
Okay, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Sure, my pleasure. One other, one other short question. The, the landscaping rock, if I, it's a bigger size. It's not the little pebble size, uh, but it's not huge either. I don't know, two inch. So I don't know how, what, what it's called. But okay. anyway, if they pile that around the, the, the roots on plants when they put that in, is that going to kill those plants? No. I mean, you're talking about shrubs and trees and things like that. Putting... Correct. I've got, uh, oh, what do you call this stuff that blooms and trimmed across the front? Uh, I got an azalea for one thing. Lyrope is the other one I've got all through the front of the house here. And they pushed them right up into the root system. Now, it shouldn't really be problematic. You know, the, oh. only t- the only reason it would be trouble is if the roots were near the surface and then pushing the rock, you know, could, damp- let's say, bruise the roots. But that's generally not going to happen. Okay. Even on a, um, because I've got a smoke tree that is really acting up. Yeah. It is big, though, and it's been there for quite a few years already. Right. Do they have a life, maybe? Uh, well, every plant's going to have a life limited, and the individual circumstance is going to determine the longevity factor. So, that I mean, that's important. But if they, you know, if they know what they're doing, and as far as putting the rock in, they didn't take, like, a big wheelbarrow and just dump it and, you know, let's say, like I said, possibly do some damage to the root system as a result of that. But for the most part... You know, a couple inches of rock shouldn't do damage to the plant material. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate your service. And now let's go over to Margie's. Hi, Margie. Margie, are you there? Oops. Guess not. Hi. um, Hi. So I'm a beginner at doing anything with plants, and I bought my husband a ponytail palm. And I feel like it already needs to be repotted. And I, I just don't know anything about ponytail palm plants and what I need to do. Basically, leave it alone. So, oh. Yeah. So you might think it needs to be repotted, but they want to be in a tight, small pot. So in other words, it's, you know, it's long, more, almost looks like a bulb coming up out of the ground and a stalk and then right. leaves at the very top. But don't put it in a bigger pot. Definitely don't do that in the winter, going into wintertime. And if you are going to ultimately, as time goes on, the way to know if you should maybe put it in a bigger pot is if you can lift it up, look at the hole, the drainage holes in the bottom of the pot. If you start to see a whole lot of roots coming out of those drainage holes, then probably it needs to be repotted. But ponytail palms are going to be years and years and years without needing repotted. Oh, all right. And how big do they get usually? Oh, well, it just depends. I mean, they can get four or five feet high. Oh, awesome. Okay. And then since I'm a beginner at this, I was wondering what are good plants to start with in your house? Uh, probably I would look at the philodendrons. They're pretty, they're easy to grow. Also the Sansevieria or snake plant. Those are two very easy to grow tropical plants that take very little care. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess that's, this is the first time I've ever heard this show. So um, I'm going to start listening some more. Well, great. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Okay, thanks. Sure. And let's see, can we get another call in before break? Okay, let's go to St. Charles and Julia. Hi, Julia. Hi, this is Julia. I have a rhododendron that is losing its leaves. I brought it in the house before the cold weather. What can I do? 
basically they don't want to be inside. Not at all. No. <laughs> okay. So you need to get it outside and either dig a hole and sink, you know, set the pot down in the hole that you've dug. Uh, mm-hmm. And probably uh, that's probably what I'd do. To put it in the ground at this time, I would. you're taking too much of a chance. So just find a nice protected spot, uh, not underneath the eave of your, you know, your gutters or anything else where it can okay. get exposure. And just dig a hole, drop it in a, where you're going to have about an inch or so of the top of the pot above the surrounding ground. And that's what you, you know, and you're just taking All a chance. Right. Rhododendrons don't necessarily like it here. Oh, okay. So, so outdoors. Right, outdoors. All right. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Certainly. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMWARS Garden Hotline. But if you do have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Let's go over to Bill's yard. Bill, how are you today? Oh, good, Mike. Listen, I got a question for you. I have a plant in my yard that was there when we moved there, So, but I'd like to know the name of it. It has a leaf uh, like an elephant ear, which grows off of a stalk that's kind of like a bamboo stalk. It's hollow on the inside, and these things grow about 20 foot tall. Well, elephant ear, 20 foot tall, hollow stem, be honest yeah, with I, you. I, you know, I cut these stalks back uh, every year. The leaf just falls off and, and just uh, goes away in the wintertime. But uh, then I cut the stalks down to about two foot high off the ground, and these things grow back to like 20 foot tall. To be honest with you, I don't, uh, you know, I, I can't guess. So if you can take a picture of it and email it to me, it would probably help me because I'm having a hard time envisioning this with a hollow. Okay, I'll do that. Thank okay. you very much. Perfect. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Hmm. 20 feet high. Elephant ear leaf. Let's see. Anyway, let's go over to Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry. Hello. Hello. Hello, yeah. I got a question for you about three ash trees that I have in my backyard. Okay. And I guess the, the question being is, is... uh when will be the best time to treat them for EAB in the fall now or in the spring when they leaf out? And would it? And they're about thirty-year-old trees, and uh, would it do any good to fertilize them? Uh, deep root feeding, you know. So in other words, you're feeding the soil, and what you do is auger holes. Then you backfill the holes with compost. Then the tr- then a healthier soil is going to help the trees as opposed to like tree spikes with just fertilizer. I don't really think that's the best way to go. And as far as injections, you know, to help control the, you know, any kind of diseases, insects, or anything else, uh, probably there's going to be more flow as we come out of wintertime, but there's no problem doing it now because there's always flow up and down through the vascular system or veins. Okay. Well, the tree service that I have that's wanting to do this is saying everything to do in the spring when it leaves out, and also they're not even suggesting that I fertilize it. Yeah. I just thought it might enhance them and do them some good. No, I would say fertilizing is not really going to help, but deep root feeding, that's where I you know, talked about the augering the holes in the ground and then backfilling so deep, those holes. Okay, so deep root. Okay. Yeah. So in other is words, that better now or the spring? No, you can do it through the entire wintertime. 
So in other words, go out from the trunk to the drip line is how far out the branches go. Go halfway out, do a circle all the way around about two feet apart with each hole that you're going to auger with an electric drill that goes down about six inches deep. And then you're going to backfill that hole with compost and just then go out another two feet, two feet, two feet. And that, that's called deep root feeding. So I could do the deep root feeding in the uh, winter time. now yeah. and also the EAB now. Right. Okay, they're telling me differently. So I'm kind of confused as what to do to try to save these trees a little bit. So Well, I mean, other if they're overall healthy, then the deep root feeding, I would probably just do that as opposed to anything else. Well, they're not really very healthy. Oh. Oh. <laughs> That's the problem. I'm just oh. trying to save them. Oh, so... Then the chances that they're, you know, on a, on the let's say the thin side of their life, this is either thing is not going to really turn the tree around. You don't think so? Okay. No, to be honest, I just not want to take them out and go back to zero. After right? No, I understand. And one of them is is bad. The other two is not quite. You know, they're not like the middle one. In other words, right. so. Yeah, if they're on the All downhill right. slide, that's not good. No, it's not. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Yep. Sorry. Let's head over to Jeff's yard. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Mike. I had a quick question about a rose of Sharon tree. It appears to have buds on the uh, stems, mm-hmm. and I'm wanting to trim it up, but didn't want to uh, ruin the chance of having buds come out in the spring. When's a good time to trim it up? Basically, you can do it any time because they bloom in the summertime. So, in other words, the buds that are on there now would still continue possibly to open up this year. But cutting those off is not going to impact the flowering next year whatsoever. So you don't have to worry about that. Probably I wouldn't do any kind of pruning on them next spring. After the leaves start coming out, don't prune any kind of the summer blooming things after that time. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Thanks. So, yeah, pruning now, I mean, summer bloomers, spring bloomers, you don't want to prune now. This is it for anybody, any case, if, because then you're just pruning off the flower buds for next spring. But summer bloomers, they could care less. And let's go now over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Can you do it kind of quick? Hi. Hi. Um, hello? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh I think a couple of weeks ago I heard you say, I'm concerned I've got some Asiatic lilies. And two did okay, and one it seems like it's really hardy and doing well. Is it too late to plant the one that was doing pretty well? So you have them in pots? Yeah, one's in, well, nursery pot. Okay. The pot it came in. Yeah, I would go ahead and get them in the ground as soon as you possibly can. Okay, but now the other two dried out because I thought I heard you say, you could let them dry out, get the soil off them, and just and they have a bulb or something that right. you can put in your house over the winter. Well, I would. You could do that, but you might as well just, you know, plant them in the ground because the ground is still warm enough for them to get, uh, you know, acclimated. Okay. Well, they were pretty dried out, and okay. the stems didn't look so great on these. Well, the, the stem doesn't matter. When you pull them out of the pot that they're in, just take a look at the bulb and see how it looks and see how it feels. If it feels really dry and crispy, then don't bother. I gotcha. And if it collapses, if it's not hard and stuff. Right, exactly. Okay. And my other question is tomato plants. Do you continue to water them when it's this cool? I mean, I have watered mine some, and it wilted 
the morning we had a really cold night. Right. But it's bounced back now. It looks okay. But you're not going to get much. You're not going to get any more tomatoes off of them anyway. Yeah. Well, I've got a few green ones on right. there. I'm hoping they'll turn red. Yeah. Uh, basically, the green ones you should pluck off and put them in a paper bag, and then hopefully they'll turn red for you. But they're not going to turn red on the stems. Right, right. Okay, yeah, a friend of mine said, oh, just bring it in the house, and they don't realize this thing is huge. Yeah, you can't bring a tomato plant in the house. No, I think I'd probably get a hernia or something. (laughs) Not only that, they won't live. (laughs) All right, right. thanks, Mike, and thanks for the show. Well, thank you. And thanks to everybody else for calling in. Ed, Daryl, and Dot, we're not going to be able to get to you today, but uh, hopefully we'll be back next week, and you can call 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Enjoy the nice windy day and ooh, ooh, hopefully not too cool. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.